I'm Jeff Cohen. Oriel Chen's first introduction to Judaism came through Bible study at church, but over time he began exploring and ultimately developed a new perspective on Judaism that led him away from the church to a synagogue. He's here today to share exactly how his journey unfolded, so let's get started. Oriel, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And just from the introduction, I can tell there'll be some interesting twists and turns to your story. So let's get started. The fact that I said in the introduction that you had an introduction to Judaism through the church tells me that you weren't born Jewish, but I don't want to make any assumptions. So I'll let you tell kind of the origin of your family's story. Sure. I mean, you assumed right. I did conversion. So I'm a gear. So I am ethnically Chinese. So I have that side to my family. My family, that cultural side. As you mentioned, I grew up going to church, but that was for my mother's side because my mom's the Christian one in the family. So I had a bit of a, a bit of a challenge growing up. And what was your father? My father wasn't religious at all. So one religious person, one totally the other side of the spectrum. So I had both of those influences growing up. Okay, and where were you born and raised? So they're two different places. I was born in South Africa, <laughs> in, in Joburg, but I grew up basically my whole life in New Zealand. Which is really fascinating because the fact that how you open the description of culturally, like where you came from, I don't think people are going to guess that that's where you were born and then that's where you were raised. So what what's the backstory to you being in these interesting places from where people would have guessed? I mean, it's mostly my parents. My parents were both born in China. My dad's from Shanghai and my mom's from Xiamen. They actually met in South Africa. They made their own ways to South Africa. My dad, I think originally he, this was after the Tiananmen Square protests in the late 80s. So... My mom actually was in Beijing at that time, and I think she just finished college. I could be wrong. And my dad was already working, but he was very involved in the, it was mainly like a student-led kind of a movement and uprising. So both of them were quite involved with that. And after that failed, they both kind of wanted out. So my dad, he ended up, from the stories that he tells me, it sounds like he just smuggled his way out. I don't really know how, but he ended up in a place called Lesotho, which is, it's a country actually that still exists right now. It's in the middle of South Africa. It's completely surrounded. He ended up there, and then he made his way into actual South Africa. And my mom, she just went straight to South Africa. So they met there, and then they got married, and, and then I came into the scene. So that's how I ended up being born there. I ended up growing up in New Zealand because it got quite dangerous, basically mid-90s onwards in South Africa. So my father, who... He was like running a few stores, bag stores, wash stores. There was one day, this was like towards towards like middle, I think 1996 or something like that. A bunch of robbers came in to the store. They were asking who's in charge. And one of the employees pointed to my father. So like one day he finds himself with four guns pointed to his head in four directions. So after that, he was like, okay, we should leave this place as well. So at that time, my aunt and my uncle, they were in New Zealand. Um, so they could help out with shifting all the... A huge balagan of just changing countries, re reestablishing, reorienting, orientating yourself. So that was incredibly helpful. Also, they spoke English, so saves having to learn another language because they had to learn English from scratch when they arrived in South Africa. So they they thought, okay, let's go to South Africa, and the priority was safety. So yeah, basically, New Zealand was known for, and it is still known for being a very safe place. So that's why they went there, and that's basically where I grew up. And so, where in New Zealand did your family settle, and do you have any siblings? So we settled in Auckland, and yeah, my, my whole time in New Zealand basically was in Auckland, and I have one younger brother called Benjamin. All right, so just as an aside, my wife and I went to Australia and New Zealand on our honeymoon, and I ended up doing this rappelling thing down a 300-foot mountain into a cave 
in Auckland. So I have a connection to you that way. Oh, wow. I haven't even done that. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up, grew up there my whole life. So you mentioned how your mom was kind of the religious one. So what role is religion now playing in your life as you're growing up in New Zealand? So basically until my teenage years, I was just every Sunday and every Wednesday going to church. And that's basically because my mom was the main one in charge of me. She gets to decide where I go and she goes to church. So I went to church. So that was for like basically my first first half of my life. I was religious in the sense that in how like um, a child could be. And then as I grew older, I was like 10, 11, 13. I kind of felt more and more away and disconnected from the church. So yeah, basically when I turned 13, the half deal, I went Christian off the derrick. I just stopped going. Um, obviously my mom was upset, but for me, that felt like the most appropriate thing to do. So my whole teenage years, basically, I wasn't going to church at all. I was completely secular, basically like my father, but I did have that influence growing up. So let me just delve into that for a moment, because I said in the introduction that you were exposed to Judaism through the Bible and church. Like, what were you learning at a young age about Jewish people? Well, I mean, the Bible's full of Jews, like even the Christian parts. So I knew of the Jews, um, or at least how they were depicted in the Bible, the ancient Israelites. I had no idea what Judaism was like now, how it was practiced, what had evolved since then. My understanding was that this is a very holy people. They have a very unique relationship with God. And because I was, I got it from the Christian lens, out of this nation came Yashke. So mm -hmm. that was my initial understanding of Judaism. I knew the patriarchs were, I knew like King David was a Jewish king. But like from the inside, I wasn't very familiar with what the text was, what specifically the stories were. I just had a general sense. Did you know even a single Jewish person while you were growing up in New Zealand? No, I did not know any Jewish people when I grew up. So now as we continue your story and you're into the teenage years and you're, you're feeling this disconnect from the church and you use this phrase like sort of off the derrick in terms of church life, just go a little bit more into what this means family-wise. Like obviously this was important to your mom. Right. You're choosing to go a more secular route, I guess, in the high school years. What's that dynamic within the family? So I was kind of very lucky because it is just my mom who is involved in that church. So um, the church is like, a, it's a JW. They, they are quite evangelical. They go door to door. They take it very, very seriously. So basically, if someone leaves the fold, the response to that is basically to excommunicate that family member. So none of the family members can actually talk to that person who left, which would have been you know, catastrophic for someone growing up in terms of shallow bias and everything. But because it was just my mom who was in that church, it doesn't really work. You have to have the whole family on board to have that shunning be effective. So she could do that, but she would just ostracize herself from the rest of the family because they all continue talking with me. So in practice, it didn't really go about like that. She still talked to me. In terms of my relationship with my father, though, it was, I'd say it, it did improve a little bit more. He thought I was making the right choice. Okay, so now let's go into the high school years. Are you in like a regular public school? Are you in a private school and, and religion is not playing any roles? So like what's your focus area during that period of your life? Definitely school was my focus. Basically, religion was nowhere in my life. It's basically school, learning, you know, the typical things that a teenager is occupied with. Do you have plans for post high school? You're already starting to think about maybe what you want to do career-wise or where you might want to go after graduation? Yeah, towards the end of high school, I definitely did start thinking about that. I knew I would go to college. That was just the default thing, the expectation. But in terms of what I wanted to do, I wasn't too sure about that. I, in fact, I didn't go straight to college because I wasn't really sure. I originally intended to take a year off to figure it out because it just didn't make sense for me to go to college. 
and not know what I want to do and then potentially waste time, waste money and then switch anyway. Like if I'm going to waste time, I might as well do it in a more productive way. So yeah, it was definitely a consideration, but I didn't have everything mapped out. Nothing was set in stone. So you did take like a gap year? Like what did you do with that time before you started college? So I effectively took like two gap years, basically. And so where did you go and what were you studying? I basically, I started doing uh, economics and then I switched to finance. So that was for undergrad. And then after that, I started doing um, statistics, postgraduate. And then halfway through that, I left to go to Yeshiva, which is like, I guess, the next the next phase. <laughs> right. So you just dangled the word yeshiva because people are listening to the story and they're saying, I don't see any which way that this person suddenly would become an Orthodox Jew, but you just gave us the word that gives us an opening. So talk me through this idea that you go to college, you're working in statistics, and now you just leap to and I end up in yeshiva. There had to have been a few steps between college and yeshiva. So what happened? Basically, well, the first thing that happened was I converted during my time in, um, in college. It got started in the sense of discovering Yiddishkeit, being intrigued by it, and just getting more and more involved. Um, the more and more I learned, the more and more I felt like this is something more than just a bunch of myths that people told themselves thousands of years ago. This is um, something that's still very much true and even more so important in our day and age. So that was before I even entered college. And during college was basically my my foray into it, my discovery into it, and ultimately the start of my conversion. And I actually finished my Garris while I was still in college as well. So by the end of college, I, I was already converted. I'd actually gone to Israel for two, almost two months by then in one of my college breaks. And so Yeshiva was already on my mind because there was so many gaps in my knowledge. I needed to at least spend a year in Yeshiva just catching up and just learning about this religion I just converted into. All right. So we have to slow down the story at this point because this is like the real like crux of how your life changes. You know, you had positioned yourself as basically secular once you had left the church. So what happens that you get this first exposure to Judaism and think this is something I'm going to even check out? Like, how does that happen? Right. So it was during that time I actually was checking out or re-exploring the faith that I grew up with. I was doing that on the side because I'm sure you know, like Christianity has hundreds and hundreds of denominations. I was just basically church hopping. Something about being atheist didn't really... It wasn't meaningful, I think is the way I should put it. I love the freedom of it because there was a lot of things in religion that I didn't like, but not believing in something, that just didn't sit well with me. So I guess for me, it was less of uh, me being secular, more more about me being dissatisfied with the religion I grew up with. So I knew that that's, this is not the only thing out there. And it was during that time when, so I wasn't actually looking for Yiddishkeit or Judaism. I didn't even know that it still existed at that time. And as I said earlier, I was familiar with the stories from the Hebrew Bible. I was reading it, just seeing what the difference was. And basically, I just kept on reading from, I read, I can't say I read the whole Chumash. I might have skipped a few parts in Vayikra, but I got the general sense of the Chumash. And the whole time, I'm like, where's where's Yashka? The whole religion, as far as I knew, Christianity was all about Yashka, which it is. But it doesn't seem like so far in the Bible, it, it's, it's about him. He's not even mentioned at all. It's all about this Jewish people. And it got me thinking, I wonder if this is if these people are still around because up until then I thought this was an ancient people, but as far as we're in the 21st century is concerned, that's been replaced by Christianity. That's the new covenant. That's a new way to to get close to God. So I was thinking, okay, well, I wonder if these people are still around, and it's really quick to check if they're still around or not. Like a simple Google search will establish that, and I'm like, oh, okay, the franchise is still going. I'm popping on. <laughs> 
might as well hop over to the Jewish church because I don't know what a synagogue or shul was. I, I actually just typed into Google Jewish church and Google knew what I was talking about. So it gave me two shuls. To go to. The first one was an Orthodox one and the second one was, I think they called themselves a progressive one. I don't know what the difference was. I just went to the first one. And that's, that was my introduction to Judaism. Okay, so you, you walk into one of them and what you just sit down during a prayer service, you go find a rabbi and you talk to him, like, how do you start interacting with the shul that you find? Right, so that shul, it only had uh, minyanim, basically Shabbos and sometimes Sunday morning. So I went Friday night and I arrived, um, there was a security guard outside, uh, <laughs> he didn't know who I was, so I had to wait a bit until someone someone came. I expected that there to be people inside, but I guess I don't know about Jewish meantime because I was early <laughs> for them. I was on time, but I had to wait for some people to arrive. They were all nice. They didn't know who I was, so they were, I could tell they were curious, but they didn't really they didn't really ask, what are you doing here, basically, or who do you know? So for the service, I just sat down. I didn't know what was going on at all. I didn't know what the language was. I didn't know what all these rituals were to be in the book. So I was sitting sitting there just observing, and then afterwards, I approached the rabbi, basically introduced myself and explained to him my story, what I'm looking for, and afterwards, I had a discussion with him. So I would have thought after that experience, you might have been so turned off that you would just like walk out, be like, I couldn't follow any of this, nobody was talking to me, so this is not really going to be for me, but I guess just in observing it, you still wanted to go to the rabbi and like kind of explain why you were there and see where it would lead? Yeah. I mean, you're right. I... I would say my first impressions of it was very culty. It was something about most people at that shul, at least, weren't shuckling, but the rabbi was, the chazan was. That did look a bit weird. I mean, from the outside, it's just objectively, for people who grew up, it's very natural. From the outside, it does look kind of odd and peculiar, but they, they weren't rude or they weren't mean. They were nice people. I could talk with them, no problem. How did you feel in terms of, I remember when I was becoming religious, it was like very easy for me to look the part. Right. Like if I could just if I just changed how I dressed, I could just like fit in like right away. So you obviously having a, a different cultural background. Was that any factor at the very beginning when people were talking to you and they they get this immediate sense that this guy is not Jewish? Yeah, basically. Um, I don't have that. I'm trying to think if that affected anything in any way. When I was starting my um, I sat down with the Diane of the Besden to start with my conversion. He was just like informing me I was going to be a minority within a minority because already Jews are a minority, and then I'm already part of another minority group. So that was, um, and then the intersection of that, <laughs> like the minority of a minority. But there was something about the similarities between the culture that I grew up with and Judaism, which I did feel an affinity for, which is both in Chinese culture as well as Judaism. I feel like family and education are held very highly. So that I felt very comfortable with. For me, the most striking thing actually was how communal the religion was. That wasn't something that I was expecting. And that was definitely um, a surprising thing for me as I got more and more familiar with Yiddishkeit. And you referenced conversion, but at this point, as your story is unfolding, all we know is that you've had one conversation with a rabbi to tell him that you're interested. So how does that relationship progress? Like, what are the steps from, hey, can I talk to you after the service is over to, I'm going to go through a full conversion? What happens in between? Many months happened in between. <laughs> I met him, I think, at the end of 2017, basically end of December, at the very end of the year. And then I sat down with the Dino the Besden basically six months later on. So I, I was I spent many months just going to shul, um, learning more about it. And really just during that whole time, it was figuring out if this is something that I want, I want to take on basically for the rest of my life. It also took, I think, at least a month of just being consistent and showing up to shul. 
for the rabbi to take me seriously as well because I was, how old was I? I was 20, basically, at that time. Generally, that's pretty young for, on average, for someone to convert. He, he, was, trying to, he was trying to suss out if whether or not this was something that I, I really thought through. So he just wanted, he was just stalling things out as well to kind of get a better sense, engaged of where I was holding. So how much did you understand about what exactly you were getting into? Because I've interviewed people where the first conversion is like a conservative one, which is much simpler and you're not going to take on all these things, but you can, you're viewing yourself as Jewish and then maybe they come to an Orthodox conversion as they continue to grow. Your story is pretty accelerated in terms of going, you said many, many months, but you went from a first conversation with the rabbi and within six months, it sounds like you're now all in on what this life is going to be. Yeah, so the show that I was in, Officially, it's Orthodox, as if, as in, if you go to the website, it says, like, we are a modern Orthodox shul in the heart of Auckland, and the service is Orthodox, the rabbis, Shomer Shabbos, Shomer Kashris. But I'd say the community is more holding, like, a conservative community. There's a lot of South Africans. I'd say possibly even the majority of the community. The New Zealand Jewish community is really just the immigrant, the South African Jewish community. And a lot of them, they're, they're traditional, I think is what the term they use for, for it, as in they're not fully from. Just to give you a picture, everyone drives to shul and no one really keeps kosher, but they only will go to the Orthodox shul. So what I knew of Orthodox Judaism when I was converting was I knew that, okay, you have to keep kosher, you have to keep Shabbos, daven three times a day for males. I was not very aware of all the chumras and all the little details and the minutia of halacha, but I knew in general this is what a religious lifestyle looked like. And my sense of a religious Jew was not someone with a black hat and a big beard. It was someone who basically looked like someone else in broad, wider society, just with a funny little hat and tassels hanging. <laughs> That's basically what... So what I was converting into was definitely on the more modern side of orthodoxy. And I guess that that probably would answer, I guess, a lot of like how it was accelerated because it wasn't, it wasn't like I was going right into the, <laughs> right into the heart of orthodoxy. So that definitely made the transition or like me seeing myself living this a bit more easier. We referenced your family before, your parents, your sibling, and how the dynamic in the family changed as you were leaving the church. And you grew closer to your father, who was more secular. There was, you know, some friction with your mom. Now you're introducing, I think I found a path that I want to be on that's like totally different from what you would have expected. So what's happening to the family relationships from this conversion? Obviously, I, I had to tell them after I decided to make this decision to convert that I'm becoming religious again. But don't get too excited, mom. Not your <laughs> Basically, I had to break it to them. So I initially thought that it would be my father who would um, be more okay with everything. He's he's generally the more hands-off, laissez-faire one. And my mom would be the more uptight about it. So it turns out that it was actually the other way around. My mom was surprisingly fine with it. And it makes sense now. I just didn't really harp it at that time. She saw the situation as either I stay secular or I become Jewish, in which case she would definitely prefer me being Jewish because at least I believe in God. So Christianity was out of the picture. Obviously, if I was to ask her, do you want me to go back to church compared to go to shul? She'd want me to go to church. So for her, it was, it was a win. And my dad, because, you know, there's so little Yiddish guy, barely a Jewish presence in China. He didn't really know what Jews are except for what he saw on TV, which was mainly what's going on with Israel. So in his mind, when I told him, Oh, I'm I become Jewish, and he's thinking I'm signing up to be on the hit list of some terrorists or something like that. So he was just right. concerned about my security. That's why he was very apprehensive about it. But after a while, he realized, oh, being Jewish in New Zealand just meant I can't call you on Friday night on Saturday, and you can't really come home to eat. And you wear a funny hat. <laughs> so, 
Um, and after a while, they saw like how much I like got out of it, and they were just happy that I was happy. So, Baruch Hashem, we talk. Um, we're on re- really good terms. There are a lot of other converts I know that they haven't talked to their family or a specific individual, their family, for many years. Usually, they do end up talking, and it does acquiesce, but. It's just it's unfortunate it has to go through that period. That's actually a pretty amazingly positive outcome from what I was thinking in my head was how you were going to answer that question. I was assuming you were going to say it went like pretty south for a few years and maybe now you found your way back to a good place with your family. So I'm really pleasantly surprised to hear that they took it so well. Yeah. I mean, they have no interest in it. My time in yeshiva, they've never really asked, oh, so what are you learning? The only thing they ask, I guess, is does this help with Parnassa? <laughs> Not, not that term, obviously, but that they were interested in. Because I, I basically told them I'm going to a Jewish school. So in their mind, school is associated with career prospects. I guess maybe that's that's how they kept the arm's length distance with the actual religion. And so let's now go into the yeshiva part of your life. So this happens post-conversion. You now think I got to really get an education in this thing that I just converted to. Is that how that idea comes about? Yeah, so that was basically what I was thinking of. In terms of how that will play out, I wasn't really sure. I just knew that I would need to go to a place where I could formally learn this religion. Because basically, the more more I learn about it, the more I realize I just don't know anything about this religion. So that was in my mind when I was starting to finish college, like thinking of my steps ahead, whether I want to do that, whether I want to go straight to work. My parents obviously were thinking straight to work because I was already bouncing around for two years. And then <laughs> I'm already delayed. So they want me to get a, get a move on regarding that. But at that time, when I was finishing college, I was I now started going to the Chabad house in New Zealand. So I wasn't going to that shul that I originally converted in. I finished undergrad, and then I was starting graduate school in statistics. That was when my shliach, he mentioned, because he wasn't sure if I was going to go ahead with that. So as far as he was aware, I potentially was finished. He did float the idea of you can go to yeshiva in the Chabad yeshiva in America. And that's basically what, what happened after I dropped out. He kind of basically helped me out with that transition. And where did you go? Where specifically was the program? So I initially I went to um, Crown Heights. There's a Valchiv Yeshiva there called Tadar Torah. And then I think maybe three, three, four months after that, I went to Marstown. So there's another, there's a huge Chabad Yeshiva there as well. Is this your first time in America when you come to these programs? I visited before just as a tourist, but I stayed like a week, basically the first time. So this is my first substantial time in America. So what is that feeling like? Like, that's a pretty big commitment. You're, you're in New Zealand and, you know, you have this rabbi setting up this program that obviously you feel like it can advance your learning in Judaism, but you're also moving across, you know, to the other side of the planet. So what is that feeling like being that far away from Rome and just being like inserted into this world of people that are trying to learn together? Yeah, definitely. It was a change of scenery. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say. Uh, I'd say it wasn't as much of a shock as, as it seems because, oh, A, I already was living away from home it was i don't know 2018 i actually moved out and i haven't never been living at home since then it wasn't such a shock i'd say was it all a bunch of people who had converted or was it a mix of of people who were born jewish and became religious like what kind of crowd is it that you're with in crown heights and then in morristown oh it's overwhelmingly baltuva so people who were born jewish were not religious and then they became more religious basically later on in life some people earlier some people a few weeks ago, some people still figuring out if they want to or not. So yeah, it's usually there's only a handful of gear, if at all, in those achievers. So what's it like for you? Because I interviewed Nissan Black, you know, as an African-American. He was talking about when he started learning, obviously you stand out right away. So are you going through this again 
you just clearly look different and you want to make friends, you want to be accepted, you want to be just treated like everyone. Like, what's that experience like in Crown Heights and Morristown? I mean, I didn't feel like it was a barrier at all. Obviously, people acknowledge that because it's, it's not something you see every day. I never felt like I was treated differently because of that. I was treated differently in the sense that people take unique interests. They're just intrigued, which is perfectly reasonable, but not in a malicious way, not in a prejudiced way. So I didn't feel like that was a thing to be concerned about at all. I felt very welcome, very supported, and many times I would forget that I was, I, my parents kind of have a different ancestry. And so how does this now play out in terms of like, how long are you in Crown Heights and Morristown? And how does this connect to what you want to do career-wise? Like you mentioned, your parents are thinking, oh, you got to, you know, I got to work at some point. So how does that part play out? So before I even left to Yeshiva, I actually was trying to figure out how I could still have one foot in the working world just so they, they don't go completely crazy. Because <laughs> I've already, as I said, I really delayed my college. And then I'm now going to another school, which has also no Shaikhus Parnassa. And for them, it's kind of, when are you going to work, right? So I was 24 at that time. So I had to have some kind of foot in the door regarding work. So I had like an internship, basically, that I had started. I had started volunteering, and then it became a paid thing, where I was, I was doing coding projects for this company, and... I'll be doing that a few hours at night when I was in Shiva. So I will still have that. I hadn't fully decided whether or not I wanted to go into coding and IT because my background is in finance and stats. So it was during my time, I guess, in Yeshiva where I decided, okay, this is, I don't, I don't hate it, which is a good thing to start <laughs> off with. And also it seems to be the most convenient thing, both in terms of where I'm holding right now, juggling, learning and working, as well as in the long term in terms of just having a work-life balance. It seemed like, at least the track that I was going in finance, more towards investment banking, just seemed like people just lived at work. 80-hour work weeks, no life apart from that, which doesn't sound like something I wanted. Whilst a lot of people I talked to work, was working in IT um, and software, they seemed to have a lot more time for family, for learning, things like that. So that sounded like a lifestyle that I wanted a bit more. So I decided I probably should switch over to this industry. So middle of last year, I started to look around for for something a bit more substantial, more long-term, rather than this gig kind of setup with projects. So I started applying for jobs and I started working basically as a, a programming intern and actually a Jewish startup. And that's where I am right now, actually. It's a full-time thing right now. So where, where are you living and what, like, are you part of now a, a Jewish community that you have the infrastructure to continue the, the lifestyle that you converted to? So right now I'm not in Marsan, I'm in Farakway. Like the the program, the Valtruva, it's also a Valtruva program here is, is set up for people who have a full-time job. Also, if you want to learn full-time, that's always an option. Basically, every yeshiva has, has arrangements for that, but its work and learning arrangement is quite unique. So that, that really has been a huge help because I still want to learn. It's just I won't be able to learn in the same capacity as I did when I had nothing else to do during the day. So that's been really helpful. And so does the program help you when you start thinking about marriage and starting a family and all that? Do they have any way of connecting you to people and making matches? Um, I think so. I haven't been that involved with how people do it in, in this community. A lot of people are are in the parasha because it's, it's like mid to late 20s. So that's the time a lot of people are thinking about getting involved with that as well. I just haven't really been directly involved with that. So I, I wish I could tell you a bit more, but <laughs> so far... So far I'm not that familiar with, um, and they, they are they are definitely, it's a huge, it's like Farakway Five Towns, a huge Jewish community. There are plenty of Shalchanim, plenty of resources out there. 
and networking connections and opportunities to do that. Since I've been here, which has been basically circus until now, so like three, just over three months, there's been at least five hustlers from people just from the roadmap. Where do you think you'll be living? Like, what do you think your life's going to look like? Your career will have progressed. Your learning will have progressed. Like, what do you envision your life looking like now that you're going to be carrying yourself, you know, in the Orthodox lifestyle? Uh, specifically in terms of where, I, I, that's still up in the air. I don't know exactly. I, in general, so far right now, I'm intending to live in America unless something drastic, I guess, changes in the New Zealand Jewish community. Right now, there isn't that the, the infrastructure to have the shuls and the, the schools and the yeshivas. So right now, yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking at the American communities. So yeah, I see myself just basically in five years living somewhere where there's, I guess, a vibrant Jewish community, starting a family, being able to provide and working and of course learning. Hopefully everything's growing. All right. So let's jump to the lightning round to close out the interview. I have a few fast questions. Are you ready? I'll see. <laughs> we'll see. All right. So as someone who walked into an Orthodox shul, like as a true outsider, what advice would you give to people who are Orthodox or in a shul when they see someone who walks in who clearly it's their first time or they don't look like they fully belong? What advice would you give to them when they see that person come in? Oh, just not to... Uh... Not to freak out. It, often <laughs> it looks like everyone everyone knows what they're doing. A lot of times they don't. They're just as lost. The vast majority of people don't know what they're reading. They may look mm-hmm. like it, but they do not know what they're reading. So just, I guess, don't feel intimidated. Like, don't freak out, basically. Second question. You talked about how the yeshiva really helped you grow in your learning. Was there also a book along the way or something you listened to online that you would specifically recommend for someone who's going through the conversion process that helped you? I mean, the main thing I read was just Chumash, I guess. That's always a recommended read. <laughs> um, the Torah. There is a resource out there. I only discovered this after I converted when I was talking with actually a couple, a family who they were actual leaders of their ministry until they converted. And what really helped them, and I had to look into it as well, and it's it's really, really helpful, really well-researched, is a guy called Tobias Singer. He's like an anti-missionary. It's basically a Jewish response to Christian missionaries, which for people... A lot of converts, it would be a really helpful, insightful resource that would help. Here's a podcast. There's also a book called Let's Get Biblical. All right. Fair enough. Ariel, you are out of the lightning round. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on Saturday to Shabbos. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit TachlisMedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at TachlisMedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.